Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and I want to welcome you to open your bulletin. There's a verse there that we're going to be looking at a little bit later. There's a place to take notes. Uh, we're beginning a new series today called Complex, Meeting God in the Mess. And if you've been with us uh, prior to this, we just finished a series called Simple, where we tried to simplify life and get back down to the, the simple gospel truth of who God is and what He's done for us. Uh, a simple life, simple community, and a simple mission. To try to, in the midst of the chaos of life, to try to just cut through and man, not make life so complicated. And, uh, and so, and I think it was great response from that. I know a lot of people grew in, in significant ways. Um, as we were doing that, uh, we also recognize that though the gospel may be simple, though our mission may be simple, life and the application of the gospel is often incredibly complex. Like how to put the tools of a simple life into an actual life is incredibly complex. It's incredibly messy. It's incredibly difficult. Um, and it's because life is hard. Right? It's because life is difficult. It's because life is messy. Uh, bad things happen. Um, and when you have a sense of God in your life, if you have a sense of God in your life, you begin to wonder when the messiness hits, does God care? You begin to wonder when life stays messy, is God even there? And then you read the Bible, and as you begin to read the Bible, you see that the Bible tells us, and God tells us himself through the Bible, that he is powerful, that he is loving, and he is good, and you begin to wonder, what's going on? Like, why is life this way if he is that way? And if you don't wonder this, then your friends are wondering this, your coworkers are wondering this, your like fellow students are wondering this. Your family members who don't know Jesus are wondering this. And they're wondering this all the time. Anytime the concept of God or spirituality or religion comes up, people go, wait a second, hold on a minute, in various forms of this question, if God is powerful enough to do anything, perfectly loving and always good, which is what the Bible says, right? He's powerful enough to do anything, he's perfectly loving, and he's always good. If God is this way, then why does anything bad ever happen on earth? Has anybody ever asked that question? <laughs> right? I mean, all of us do. And, why does, and, and we want to ask it in this way. If God is this way, then why does anything bad ever happen on earth? Why, does any, why has anything bad ever happened in history? If God is powerful to do anything he wants, if he is all loving and incredibly loving and he is good, then why? Why does anything bad ever happen? Most people have sort of corollaries on this because a lot of people, especially people outside the church, but also people inside the church, they've watched Christians who have their Bibles in their hand, who read their Bibles and quote their Bibles, and yet live in lives that are full of messiness. Um, there's people that also um, wonder this question. Uh, why do Christians give God credit for the good things in their lives, but don't seem to blame Him for the bad things? 
right? It's, it's sort of related. It's, it's, it's an advance on that first question, but it's related. If you give God credit for the good stuff, then doesn't he deserve the blame for the bad stuff? If you're going to let God have the credit and you're going to praise him, even if you're going to worship him because he is so good to you, then doesn't he deserve the blame when life goes wrong, when the mess hits, when the mess piles up, when the mess doesn't go away, when all of our efforts to clean up the mess make the mess worse? Where is God? And so, when life goes wrong, a lot of people assume that either God doesn't exist, He doesn't care, or He can't do anything about it. Is there another option? And can there be another option? I mean, how, how can this be? I mean, when everything in our lives tells us that God either must not know or not care, how can we meet God? How can we find God in the mess of our lives? And there's a little bit of good news because this question, and it's not just a question, right? It's not just an intellectual thing, but man, it's something that grips our hearts, right? We're not talking about theological minutiae. We're not talking about like, hey, how do you come up with a good answer to like dazzle your friends in a conversation? Or when somebody comes with a question, like what's, I mean, these are incredibly personal things that we experience. God, why has my life fallen apart? What have I done to deserve this? And why does he treat me this way? Why does she treat me like this? God, I can't even begin to describe to another person on earth what I've gone through. Where have you been? Where were you? Let me just share with you some verses that are in the Bible. These are verses that God has inspired people to write. Um, Psalm 13, or this is not good. Let me read to you a couple of verses that are in the Bible. Um, Psalm 13, verse 1 says this. We're going to sing this a little bit later because we need to take these words onto our lips and learn to speak them out of our faith. Psalm 13, 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt that way? God, where are you? And why aren't you here? And how long will you be absent? Psalm 88, verse 14. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me. There's so many of us. You think about your marriage and you're wondering, God, where are you? Think about your children and you wonder, God, where are you? You think about your family. You think about your job and you think, God, where are you? And God actually teaches us. Like in the Bible, there is this voice of frustration. And so if you've ever felt this way, 
You're not alone. And it's not just that other people like you in our day and age feel the way you feel, but the people who wrote the Bible felt this way. And so you need to know first and foremost that you're not alone, that the Bible actually teaches us to be honest and to be real if we feel this way, to be honest and real even with God. And so there's a set of verses that that express the cry of our heart. Um, And the other thing that we find when we begin to wrap our arms around the whole Bible is we realize that this isn't just the voice and the cry of our hearts. This is actually the voice and the cry of the heart of God. Do you want to know who feels the way that you feel about the mess of your life? God does. God does. Let me just show you some verses. Genesis 6, verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. When the evil and the wickedness and the abuse and the debauchery of human life escalated, God got to the place where he was sorry that he even made people in the first place. It grieved him to his heart. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. This is God talking. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. God chose Saul to be the king over his people Israel. And Saul turned his back on God. And it was so awful that as God was watching this unfold, as God saw the destruction that the political leaders of the day could have on the people and on the country, God said, I regret that I made this guy king. And then Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. This is God giving Ezekiel the prophet a message for the people. And this is what he says. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So I don't take any delight in bringing judgment. There is no joy in my heart when I punish people for their wickedness. But that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil way. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And this passage shows us that the heart of God, that the face of God is filled with tears. I don't want to punish you. I don't take any delight in bringing judgment on you. I would rather that you would turn back to me that you would come back to me and do justice and do righteousness and show mercy and be loving and be gracious. Why? Why will you? T- why would you die? Why would you stay the way you are that my judgment would fall? Why? And so you have God pleading with people. You have God coming and saying, "Like I don't want to do this. Please stop. Come back. Why would you choose this way?" 
And so it's not just our frustration over the mess of life. It's not just our pain and our anguish, but God himself in his heart is full of anguish and mourning and even even weeping. Because Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet, as a reflection of the heart of God, he said this in Jeremiah 9.1, he said, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And so even as the judgment comes upon God's people, even as judgment falls on them, God is weeping rivers of tears over what His people are going through. Friends, these four verses that I've shared with you, this is the God of the Old Testament. Okay? This is the God of the Old Testament. You need to know that. There are people out there who will say, oh, you know what, I love Jesus because He's all love and grace. The God of the Old Testament's angry. The God of the New Testament's loving. And I just want you to see the face and the heart of the God of the Old Testament. There is no delight in His judgment. There is no delight in the punishment that He has for people who deserve it. And it's not just the God of the Old Testament. Even Jesus responded like this. And these are the two verses that are in your bulletin. They're up here on the screen as well. Um, This is Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38 in some ways, channeling the spirit of Jeremiah himself. Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Jesus is lamenting. He is mourning over the condition of the people of Israel. He's mourning over the condition of the people who are supposed to be following after God. And yet they're killing the prophets and stoning the people that God is sending to them. And Jesus says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. I was willing to gather you and to protect you. When danger comes, the chicks all run and the hen gathers them with her wings and brings them underneath her and stands there over them and sits in some ways on them without smothering them to protect them from destruction. They've actually found chicken coops where that have been burned down and they found the carcass, the burnt carcass of a mother hen. The burnt carcass of a mother hen and when they lifted up the mother hen, they found the baby chicks that were alive. Because she protected them. Jesus is saying, rather than you experience judgment, I would have gathered you under my authority, under my leadership. And I would have protected you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you were unwilling. You didn't want me. And so see, your house is left to you desolate. So I want you to see that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, this is the heart of God Himself. In the Bible, God is broken. 
over the mess of life. God is frustrated by the mess of life. God is distraught over the mess of life. And so while we are frustrated, while we're broken, while we're angry, while we're dealing with jobs that we hate, while we're dealing with abuse that we have endured or are enduring, when we deal with um, addictions that we've brought on ourselves, um, God is with us. God is frustrated and mourning and even weeping along with us. The question that I ask myself, which I'm sure many of you are asking as well, is then, well, if God is reacting this way, then why doesn't he stop it? Like, why doesn't God stop the bad stuff? I mean, if God is powerful enough to do anything, and he is perfectly loving and always good, then why does anything bad ever happen on earth? Why doesn't he just stop it? And I think that the answer lies in the fact that God has made us in his image. Um, As people that are made in God's image, God has given us a will and the ability to choose. And the tragedy of life's mess is that we are able to choose to follow God or to reject his ways. And, And the greater tragedy is that we live in a world where the people around us have a will and the ability to choose what they're going to do with their lives and with their days. The people that are over us, that have authority over us at work, have this will and the ability to choose whether they're going to do what's good or what's bad. And the people in charge of the world, in charge of our city, in charge of our state, in charge of our country, they have a will and they have the ability to choose to do things that are good for others or that are bad. People can choose to follow God or to reject His ways. Everybody, especially in our day and age today, wants freedom. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to be told that they can't choose whatever they want. People make all kinds of money just by standing up in front of other people or writing books that say, you can have anything you want if you just work hard enough. Like we eat that up. Nobody wants to have limitations or restrictions. And from the beginning of creation, God gave people freedom. And so if people, if free will exists, then people can use that free will to do things that God doesn't like. People can use their will even to break God's heart. I think that people have argued this. This makes sense to me. I think that free will is required for love. And that's what God wants. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to choose to to serve Him. The Bible says, choose you this day, whether you will serve God or you will serve yourself or idols or other gods. I think without this kind of freedom, we just become puppets and God's up there as a marionette, just... And there's no relationship there. And so that's, that's why things are the way they are. Um, it's not God's fault. It's ours. 
And so, and, and when I say it's ours, it's the collective fault of the human race. Okay? This doesn't mean that everything bad that's happened to you is a result of something that you have done to deserve it. We're going to talk about that in future sermons in this series. But we all have contributed to this. Okay, some have contributed to the mess of this world, and sometimes using the word mess is not strong enough, but to the evil of this world, to the brokenness of this world, to the vandalism that we all then have to live in of this world. Um, evil exists because people as a whole have turned their back on God and on His ways. People have walked away from God. If people had stayed with God and honored Him as God, then there would be love in the world. There would be joy in the world. There would be peace in the world. There would be patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in the world. But the more we turn away from God, the more we turn our back from God, the more we lose those things. The image of God is hardwired into all of us. We were born, made in God's image. But when we turn away, when we turn our back on God, you end up like unplugging from the source. And just like your phone, the image of God in you will die over time. And so people wrestle with this idea of free will and the, the sovereignty of God and his, his control over all things. And we've already seen God's reaction, right, to when people use their freedom to do evil. And so life is this mess, this growing mess that's swirling around us. Right? The evil that's done to us from other people. The evil that we ourselves do. The mess of life overwhelms us like a flood. And we want to get mad at God. We want to blame God. And the question is, where do we find God in the mess? My experience has been that when I look up, God's not there. When life's mess hits. In fact, I find that when I look around for God... I find Jesus usually about right here. I find Jesus right next to me. Usually I don't see him because when I turn around, if I'm not looking carefully, I'll miss him because normally when the mess of life hits me, Jesus is right next to me. But he's on his knees begging and pleading with God on my behalf. When I am undone, when I am distraught, when I feel forsaken, Jesus is mourning along with me. Jesus is praying for God to draw near. Jesus is weeping over the pain that I feel. Jesus is weeping over the brokenness that I'm experiencing. And friends, He is right there with you as well. N.T. Wright is an author, um, and he has written a book about prayer. And he talks about the tension of the extravagant love of God, the extravagant, powerful love of God on the one hand, and then the incredible brokenness of life on the other. And he says that they're, they're kind of like the two lenses of binoculars. 
And when they're too far apart, right, you can't really see through them. You have these two circles that kind of just sort of jumble everything up and you can't really see. But he says you have to bring those binoculars together so that they line up with your eyes, right? And he says as you bring the powerful and extravagant love of God together with the brokenness of the world, when you look through those two lenses, you see Jesus, God, the Savior of the world, on his knees, praying, lamenting, mourning, and broken. And this is where I find Jesus. I mean, this is where I have found him. In the times when I have felt most alone, in the times where I have felt most confused, in the times when I have felt most just distraught, not knowing which way to turn, I have found Jesus. (laughs) And when I finally see him, he just looks up at me with tears in his eyes and he says, This is not my fault, but I'm here to help. And so into the mess of life, we can meet God. And when we meet him, Jesus says, this is not my fault, but I'm here to help. When we turn our backs on God, the mess that ensues is not his fault. It's ours. But Jesus is here to help. He gives us real authority and real power. Like what we do actually matters. The things that we do matter to him and to other people. They they affect the course and the trajectory of our lives. And when we abuse that power to hurt ourselves or to hurt others, it's our fault. It's not his. But he is here to help. God created us to know him and to love him and to experience the joy of his blessings. And that love requires us to make a choice. And if we choose to reject God, then God will sadly give us what we want. He will sadly give us a life that is apart from him and his blessings. And when we do that, Jesus again says, look, this isn't my fault, but I'm here to help. Jesus says, don't blame me for this. And he says it like that. He's not getting angry with us. He's just, he is in grief saying, don't blame me for this. I hate this more than you do. But I'm with you to overcome it, even if it is your fault. Some of the stuff is not your fault. Some of the stuff is stuff other people have done to you, and I'm with you. But even the stuff that is your fault, I am working to give you strength in the midst of it all. I'm here to help. And Jesus wants us to know, he wants us to know that all of the pain, all of the anguish, all the frustration, all of the 
acute, excruciating emotional pain. All of the low-grade, like, constant annoyances, the death-by-paper-cuts kind of stuff that you go through, like, all of that, I have actually suffered for you. Jesus says, look, I know your suffering. I understand the suffering that you're going through because I too lived a life and I dealt with all of the, the stuff that you've dealt with. I've dealt with abuse. I've dealt with misunderstanding. I've dealt with confusion. I've dealt with being falsely accused. I've dealt with ridicule. I've dealt with mockery. I've dealt with I just the radical ability the people around you have to not get it no matter how often you explain it. Like, I've dealt with all of this. And then, I suffered the infinite wrath of God on the cross. I endured God's wrath on the cross. And so, if you want to talk about suffering, like, I'm there, I get it, I really do understand and I'm telling you this not because I want you to make you not because I want to make you feel guilty. Like I've I've talked to people, I've had conversations with people who are going through amazing, like like just awful things. And and I've told them, well, Jesus understands because look what Jesus suffered. And they go, oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't really complain. I'm like, no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't tell you about his suffering to make you feel guilty. He tells you about his suffering so that you would feel understood. Jesus wants you to know that he cares. He suffered for you, not so that you feel guilty about because he suffered this much and you suffered this much. No, no, no. Jesus wants you to know, like, I care about you so much that I came and I suffered. All of the pain and the vandalism done to you was done to me. All of the pain and the vandalism that let's be honest, that you have caused to other people, that you have caused to yourself, that you have caused even to the cause of God in the world, all of that I endured. And I did it for you. The Bible says that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And Jesus would tell you, not only do I mourn and weep and grieve along with you, not only did I die for you, but I have come and I am pursuing you. I want you to know this, so I'm coming to find you. And, and right now, today, in this experience, the fact that you are sitting here listening to God's word, listening to the voice of Jesus, not my, I mean, you know, through what's being preached, Jesus is telling you that I found you that I am here with you again right now in the midst of the mess. I'm here with you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that I care, that I'm with you. And so I come after you. I find you through the gospel. And when Jesus suffered on the cross, they put him in a tomb and they thought it was over. Everyone thought the cross meant defeat. But actually, Jesus' death was him entering into death and coming out the other side. That the resurrection is the completion of the crucifixion. That in his death, Jesus went even deeper to solve 
the world's problem of sin, to solve our problem with sin. And in the resurrection, he came out. He was victorious. He overcame it. Death couldn't hold on to him. It wasn't strong enough. And in resurrection life, he emerged from the grave. And so he was victorious. And when we believe in him, his victory becomes ours. That's the simple gospel. That our victory comes through Jesus' suffering for us. I was talking to somebody this week um, when things, uh, he had this particular set of circumstances that went bad in a way that was very, very similar to me. So as he's describing the circumstances of how the circumstances of life went bad, uh, I was like, wow, like I deal with this exact thing and I deal with this all the time. And, and for him, he said, when these things go bad, when the circumstances fall apart, I just think, God, you've abandoned me. You've abandoned me. Like, where are you? If you were here, this wouldn't happen. And I listened, and I tried to understand, and I, I tried to make sure I understood exactly where he was coming from. And I said, you know, this is, can I share something with you? I experience the exact mess that you're describing. I experience the exact brokenness that you're describing. And for me, I don't go to that God has abandoned me. For me, when I go to God with this, Usually what happens is I see, that, I see that God is saying, Stephen, hey, I love you. You're my son. Um, I am with you. I give you strength. I give you endurance. I give you wisdom. Um, this mess, you made this. Like, this isn't me. This is you. Like, you did stuff. You know, you made decisions. You made about eight or nine different decisions that put you in this mess. Now, you're in this mess, and I love you, and I'm going to work with you, and I'm going to be near you, and you're going to suffer through this mess along with me. I'm here with you. I'm praying for you. I'm giving you wisdom. I'm making sure you know you're not alone. Um, and that's like, and so for me, I'm able to see that, like, oh, wait, this isn't God's doing. This is my doing. And so I just offer that up because for me, I could actually bring the mess and see God there with me and going, all right, God, all right, I need to fix this. I need to stop doing these eight things that put me in this mess every single week, right? I need to do this um, so that I don't get in this mess. Thank you for not abandoning me. And so I offered this perspective up, and he said, I've never thought about it that way. I've never thought about it that way. And so there's a new opportunity for the life that God's given me in the midst of the mess to then grow and multiply in him. And the question then is, how do we get there, right? How do we connect to God in the mess, right? And so I want to just give you a couple of options, okay? There's two, really two choices that we have when the mess of life hits or when the mess of life stays or when the mess of life never goes away, okay? And so let me give you these two options. We've got two choices. We can either... Two choices while we wait and suffer. We can grumble or we can lament. Okay, Grumbling is complaining. Grumbling is becoming bitter. Now, it's being honest about our suffering. That's good. It's being honest about the mess, but it, it doesn't stuff the problems that we have. Right? There's some health about grumbling because you're getting it out. Um, but 
When we grumble, when we complain like this, we get angry and we make other people suffer. Okay, we hurt others with our attitudes, with our words, with our actions, and then we feel justified because, well, like life is tough. We're suffering. Life is messy. And so grumbling makes us the focus as we grumble out loud. Grumbling, in, in a lot of ways, is complaining against God, right? Why did you do this? Why don't you care? Where are you? Um, and so in many ways, grumbling looks like me and my circumstances against God. Right? This is what grumbling does. It's me and my circumstances against God. When you do this, let me just tell you that grumbling adds to the load that you're carrying. We do it because it makes us feel better in the moment, um, but actually it makes things worse because it separates us from God, and then it also actually separates us from others because nobody likes to be around you or me when I'm grumbling like this. And other people get hurt when, we, when I grumble like this. And so the alternative is to lament. And that's what the Bible says that we should do. Lamenting is bringing your mess to God. Lamenting is turning your pain and your suffering and the mess into frustrated prayer. Okay? That's what lamenting is. This is you being honest about the mess, honest about your suffering, but you're giving it to God. You're inviting God in and you're trusting God to work. When you do this, Jesus gets underneath the load with you and it lightens. When you realize that Jesus is with you, um, man, it gets, the load gets lightened. And so if this is what grumbling looks like, lamenting looks like this. Lamenting is me plus God against my circumstances. That's big. When you lament, God joins you. When you're on God's side against your circumstances, things change. Because even then when you're frustrated, you're frustrated alongside God. Like what this does is you turn around, you see Jesus is praying, and you say, I'm going to join him. (laughs) I'm going to join Jesus and cry out to God with him. And now I'm not alone. Now Jesus is with me. And so what happens here is that lamenting turns suffering into communion. How can you have a relationship with God that's close, that's personal, that's meaningful? Well, when the mess hits, or with the mess that you're currently experiencing, if you would go to God in frustrated prayer along with Jesus, God joins you He begins to lighten the load and he reminds you that you're not alone. That he is with you and that he cares. And so you want to state your frustrations as lamenting rather than grumbling. Um, What's neat too is that when you lament like this in prayer, then you can talk to others about what you're going through without spreading bitterness. And so, grumbling would say, I hate the way my wife doesn't respect me. That's what grumbling is. Lamenting, though, is praying and saying, Father, I long for my marriage to heal. See the difference? Grumbling says, I can't stand the way my kids don't listen. But lamenting says, Heavenly Father, 
I long to have a better relationship with my kids. Grumbling says, I hate my job. But lamenting says, Father in heaven, I wish I had better appreciation for my job. I wish it were more satisfying than how it feels now. Grumbling says, man, those people are evil. But lamenting says, Heavenly Father, I've been hurt by them and I am struggling to respond the way you want me to. Grumbling would say, I hate the two political candidates for president. I can't believe our country is in the political state that it's in. Add emotion, add expletives, you know. Lamenting says, Heavenly Father, we've done this to ourselves. Would you heal our nation? Would you give me your patience and your understanding? And would you add your people into the political process on both sides of the aisle who can represent you and influence the people who are in charge? When you get to that place, you're actually kneeling with Jesus. And he is with you. This is just the beginning of dealing with the mess of life. We're just starting. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about the powerful ways that God does influence and affect the circumstances of life. But it's important for us to know that first and foremost, God understands our cry and he cries along with us. And so this week, I would encourage you in all of your frustration, in all of your pain, in all of the mess of life, turn your grumbling into lamentation and meet with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us alone. It is so easy for us. It's so easy for us to feel like you've abandoned us when things get bad. And we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that the Bible reveals this part of your heart. God, thank you for caring so deeply, for being moved emotionally by the brokenness and the mess of life. Thank you for being with us. Help us to see you in our mess and turn our grumbling into lamentation. Help us to lament this week and to meet you in our mess. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.